when you're a student, the two most magical words ever are snow day. I mean, snow day, like that's the best thing you could, you could ever, ever hear. Best two words ever. In fact, the great thing about college is you can use, um, it's not really peer pressure. It's just the pressure of social media. Hashtag Scott Rich snow day. Get it trending, man. You know, like that's, that, that's the way to get things done around here. Um, second best two words that you could have if you're a student field trip. Like everybody loves a field trip, man. You know, get on, on the bus or in college, you know, sometimes load up in the vans or the car. Sometimes, you know, we even take field trips where we put people on, on airplanes. It's great once you're um, an adult and whatnot. Part of my, my job um, in all of my levels of being in education has been to organize field trips for students. When I was in Kansas City, I was doing urban ministry, doing a leadership development program. And um, we would do field trips with the kids in that program to expose them to different industries, different jobs. And two of the most memorable field trips that I took students on, one was to one of the big sports architecture firms in Kansas City, which has just an amazing sports architecture landscape. And I had a friend there who uh, has since passed, but he was project manager on a number of of different sports arenas and, and football arenas throughout the country, including one of my most memorable arenas being a huge Portland Trailblazers fan, he helped design uh, the Rose Garden Arena. And so before we even knew each other, we were in that arena on the same night, on opening night, when um, the Blazers somehow managed to lose to a really, really bad Toronto Raptors team. It was sad. Um, But it was cool for, like, the kids to be able to see, oh, like, all of these things that I see on, on, on TV now I know a little bit how they're made. And, and they got to see um, blueprints that were like three feet by four feet that hung on these uh, gi- gigantic hangers and that people would, would just smack down on these big tables and go over and over the various layers of an arena. One of the other really cool field trips that we took the kids on was to uh, Hallmark headquarters. And I had a number of friends in Kansas City that were creatives at Hallmark. One guy that um, does watercolors and some other folks who did some different art mediums and they took us around and they introduced us to all of their friends that worked at Hallmark. And the most memorable guy there was the person who invents, they have a person whose job it is to invent all of the different fonts that Hallmark uses. And we were talking to this guy, and the crazy thing was to just hear about and to see his process and to hear about his life and how he got to to where he was. And he said that he went and he studied with a monk in Europe for a number of years. And he would sit with this monk and he would watch him for a long time and then he he would emulate him and then he would start to create his own art and his own calligraphy. And he was so skilled at the art of calligraphy that he asked one of our students what her name was, and she told him, and he took a paintbrush in his right hand, and he took a paintbrush in his left hand, and he wrote um, her name with his left hand like we would read it, left to right and, and, and right side up, while simultaneously with his right hand, he wrote her name upside down and backwards, and it was, it was perfect, and it was beautiful, and, and it was art. Field trips are fun because they get us out and they expose us to things that we may have never seen before. And they help us to think about the world around us in a different light. That's part of the education process. Did you know that in part of the education process of the prophets, sometimes they even got to go on field trips? It's true. Jeremiah 18, the prophet Jeremiah, after having gone and preached 
and, and after speaking and after listening to God and after delivering all of these oracles to the people of Judah and to Jerusalem, God called Jeremiah to go on a field trip. I don't know if Jeremiah was excited or not, but if I was Jeremiah, I would have been excited. I don't think um, they get too many snow days in Jerusalem. So this was probably like the number one most exciting thing to hear. Uh, The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Jeremiah chapter 18, beginning in verse one, arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house and there he was working at his wheel And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. God tells the prophet to go down to this this artist's house. And he says, go and watch this artist create. The artist takes that, that lump of clay. And if you've ever seen someone make something out of pottery at the wheel, they're spinning the wheel and that clay is spinning. And, and, and as they're spinning, they're, they're molding that clay and they're applying water. And they have this, this vision in their head of what they want that really rough mold of clay to be. And they're making it and they're making it and they're making it into a, a vessel. But occasionally we know that that clay does not cooperate. When it doesn't cooperate, it just kind of folds in on itself as it's even on, on, on the wheel. And so this potter, seeing that it folds in on itself, that it spoils in the potter's hand, not that it gets, it gets rotten, but it just takes a form that the potter does not intend for it to take. The potter takes it back and reworks it into another vessel as it seemed good for the potter to do. Now, God was not calling Jeremiah to another vocation. God was not saying, Jeremiah, come and learn how to do this so that you can make pots because I want you to, you know, give your grandma a a sorry looking ashtray for Christmas. No, 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 no. What God was trying to do was to teach Jeremiah here uh, an object lesson. This was a real life parable. And so then in verse five, the word of the Lord comes back to Jeremiah. Oh, house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And I love this imagery because it speaks both to how God knew the individual people of Israel and had intention for them and had desires for them and had a form for them. And it also speaks to what God wanted from the community. We have talked before in chapel this year as we have gone through the prophets, first Isaiah and now Jeremiah. We have talked about when when we hear God talking about Israel for us, what we're supposed to see is not so much some kind of nationalistic identity, but what we're supposed to see for us as a group is what does God desire for us as the people who worship the one true God? And so God has this this thing that he wants to do in individuals' lives, but he wants them to come together. He wants them to coalesce. He wants them as individuals to be this one vessel that has its intended form and its intended purpose. Like the, the, the individual part of this, of God working in individual human lives, you see this because, because the artisan here is working, the potter is working with, with clay. 
And when we think in our, our scriptures back to Genesis, you have the, this narrative, you have this story where God takes the dust of the ground and God breathes into that dust life. And it's from, from the dirt of the ground, from the dust of the ground that God births humanity in God's own image and we know that, that, that clay comes from the, the, the ground. And in fact, the, the dust, especially in this region, is, is something that, that blows over atop the rock or atop the clay. And so as this potter is working, I think there is a sense in which we are supposed to see this notion that God wants to do something with us. That God wants us to, to, to be vessels that are beautiful and have purpose. And at the same time, God wants us to be a part of a meaningful, called community that finds our value and our purpose in worshiping God. And so God goes on speaking to Jeremiah, saying this, If any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. And if that nation concerning that which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Now, therefore, say then to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. There is a word for people here, but primarily the word that God is giving them is what? It's a word about God, right? It's a word about the nature of God. That being that the nature of God, one of the things about God that is unchangeable is that God has ultimate authority. God has ultimate sovereignty. God has ultimate, ultimate uh, say is what, is what we could say if we're not used to all those fancy dancy theological words. God has the, the number one highest say over what happens. In that God, in, in God's goodness and in God's justice, in God's mercy, in God's knowledge, in God's wisdom, God has the power and the right to, to change his own mind. And so if God says something, if God says, hey, I, I've established you and you've sinned against me, and I'm, I'm going to pluck you up and I'm going I'm I'm to break you down and build you into something new. God is also saying, look, it's not too late for you to heed the call to change. It's not too late for you to, to heed the call to redemption. It's not too late for you to heed the call to transformation. And at the same time, if there are people who have been called and they're in the good graces of God and they are being blessed, then God is saying, it is not beyond the scope of my power, my authority to, to, to change my mind if, if the covenant has been broken to try to, to point you back in the right direction to try to remold you into that form that I have first intended for you. And so the first thing that, that God is, is speaking of here is God's own character and God's own authority. But the second thing that God is speaking to here is a call that is on our lives, a call to be formed and a call to be transformed. And so God looks at the people 
And he says, there's this thing that I've created you to be, and you are not living up to that form right now. The vessel has folded in on itself. This clay, this thing that I have breathed life into, the the, the life has has gone from it. And it no longer has the the, the beauty or the art or, or, or even the purpose that I intended for it. But it's not too late. And so be formed, be transformed. Be renewed, turn away from your evil and amend your ways and your deeds, the things that you do. And the response of the people is very interesting here in verse 12. And in fact, it's a bit depressing. But the people say, they say, this is in vain. We will follow our own plans and we will, everyone, act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. The people being confronted with the authority of God, say, you know what? We don't really have time for that process. We don't have desire to live within the bounds of the will and the intention of God. And this is something that is confounding to God because as God looks at the people that he has spoken into existence, that he has so many plans for to this God, they are denying something that should be undeniable. Therefore, thus says the Lord, ask among the nations who has heard the like of this. The virgin Israel has done a very horrible thing. Does the snow of Lebanon leave the crags of Sarion? Do the mountain waters run dry? The cold flowing streams, but my people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. They made them stumble in their ways in the ancient roads and to walk into the side roads, not the highway, making their land a horror, a thing to be hissed at forever, forever. Everyone who passes by is horrified and shakes his head like the east wind. I will scatter them before the enemy. I will show them my back, not my face in the day of their calamity. Now, you know what? We don't know much about, most of us don't know much about what Lebanon looks like. Most of us have, have, have not been to these mountains that are talked about. But what God is talking about here is, is are things that have been put in the natural order. It would be like if God said, uh, does the Atlantic Ocean run dry? No, it doesn't. The ocean is always just like my jump shot going to be wet. No, just kidding. My jump shot is horrible. It's broke like a joke. Uh, is, 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 is there ever, is, is, is Hoth ever not snowy? No, it's a permanent blizzard there. Is Sterling, Kansas ever not windy? No, it's, it's always windy. And while that used to be a very discouraging thing to me, I found this way to kind of placate myself. Did you know that in the Hebrew, the word ruach, which means wind, also means the spirit of the Lord. And so when I walk by and um, the wind is just cutting through my wool coat and the eight layers of sweaters that I'm wearing, I just say, thank you, uh, spirit of the Lord, for piercing me to my soul. I'm encouraged by this today. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I say to myself. God is saying, look, I made you to be something. I made you to worship me. I made you to have your presence in me and, and this thing that you are, are meant to be, my, my, my bride, the one who is supposed to be pure. You have taken this thing that is very much supposed to define you and you have thrown it away. And everyone around you sees that you have thrown it away. They suck their, their, their teeth at you. They are horrified. They, they, they shake their head. And because of that, because you have lost your grounding, 
because you have lost your anchor, you are at risk of being scattered before the enemy. You are at risk of of me turning my back to you and on my face to you. You are at risk of, of calamity. God has used the strongest language possible to call the people back to transformation, to call the people back to repentance, to call the people back and say, just be what you were supposed to be because that's a good thing. And what do the people say? Their final word in verse 18 is, then they say, come, let us make plots against Jeremiah For the law shall not perish from the priest, nor the counsel of the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come, let us strike him with the tongue and let us not pay attention to any of his words. Isn't that wild? Isn't that 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 wild? That, That they acknowledge that there is wisdom that will be given to them from wise counsel. And they say, we don't want the wisdom because we don't want to live within the bounds of the wisdom. Isn't it wild that that, that they say the law will be here with the priest? And and so we're just going to shut the priest out because we don't want to live within the bounds of the law. Isn't it a little bit crazy that, that they know that the prophet is here bringing them a word? And so what they say, instead of saying, we know that the prophet is going to be here, that this person is be, has been sent, so we should listen to them. They say, we are going to shut the prophet out. They have no need, no space in their lives. They have no desire, no want to be transformed. All they want to do is to stay living in their sin. Here's the deal. God is calling all of us to a life of transformation. And we know that in a New Testament context, God is calling us to be transformed into Christ-likeness, to take on the the character of, of Christ and to embrace the work of Christ, those things that Jesus has called us and, and wants us to do. And so my question for you is, is, is this, who's transforming you? Who's transforming you? Because especially at this age of, of 18 to 22, you are, are in a stage of your life well, you are changing. Like, I think the, the, the place where we change the most is like, you know, when we're zero to two. And then like, you know, we kind of progress along these stair steps. And then um, uh, the unfortunate period of early adolescence comes and middle school, junior high hits and woof, nobody wants to go relive that. Um, and, and we change like so fast that we just literally fall down a lot and we don't know what to do with all of this and then we even out for a while and then we kind of get to college and, and there's this time where we're away from the things that we're used to and we're, we're taking on new ideas and we're trying to figure out from here on out what am I going to be and, and the time right after college in fact they say that your brain and it's not just like they say there's a lot of research behind this I'm glossing over a lot but I have footnotes for this we could talk about it later they say that your brain does not develop until you're 25 years old which is actually true the only people who really understand this is true and utilize for their good profit are the car rental companies. That's why you can do anything you want in this country except rent a car until you're 25 because they don't want you to crash their vehicles. Your brain matures when it's 25. And so even after you leave college, you are still in this state of change and transformation, which means that right now in this place where you sit today, it's very important that you ask the question, who and what do I have in my life that is transforming me? 
Because hopefully what you are embracing is this transformation that God calls you to. If you are embracing that transformation and you are embracing the things that even these people a couple of thousand years ago knew that they should be embracing. Hopefully you are embracing the wisdom of of the prophets and the wisdom of the spiritual leaders. Hopefully you are, are embracing the very word of God that we have complete and total access to, that we can carry around multiple copies on our electronic devices that the advent of the printing press has allowed us to have physical copies of wherever we are at that you get for free at this institution once a year when you walk through these doors because the Gideons come to this campus and hand out New Testaments and and, and, and Psalms. Are we allowing the word of God to be the thing that transforms us? And maybe you're like, man, I don't know. Like, I just don't understand it. And I get that. You know what? The word of God, that's our foundation. That's our anchor. But God has given us some other things to help us understand that, hasn't he? I mean, are we allowing time and space for prayer in our life to transform us? And when we read these things that we see in God's word, that when we are quiet before God, that we can experience times of understanding, that we can bring our our questions to God, that we can wait on God for the answers to those questions, that we can hear from God. The fancy word being discern what God would have us know and what God would have us do. What are you allowing to transform you? Do you have people in your life in your peer group that are transforming you for the better. Because I will tell you this, that the people that you choose to surround yourself with, your peers, they will change you. They will change you. They will affect who you are as a person. They will affect your habits. They will affect the decisions that you make. And so as you think about the people that you spend the most time with, the people that you have the most trust in, when you think about the, the people that, 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 that you talk to the, the most, when you think about the people that have an effect on your life, what are they pointing you toward? Are they helping you as, as, as you wrestle with God, as you seek after the face of God, or are they leading you away from God that you might be, as the imagery says there from the prophet, blown away? Who are you allowing to transform you? Who are the, the, the voices of wisdom in your life? Who are the people who are a generation or maybe even two generations older than you? Who are the the professors that you try to engage with outside of class? Who are the older family members that you have looked at and said, yes, they embody wisdom and and knowledge, Christ-like service. They have a spirit-filled life. Who are the people in the churches that you attend where you look at them and, and you say, man, you know what? I kind of wouldn't mind being like them when, when I grow up. And maybe you don't want to be totally like them, but maybe you could see something in their life. Maybe it's the, the, the length of their marriage. Maybe it's the intensity of their worship. Maybe it's the evenness of their demeanor that tells you that the spirit of God is upon them and that they've put some kind of effort into this, their spiritual life. Maybe it is, is how they serve so selflessly and give of themselves. Jesus, just like Jesus loves us and gave himself up 
for the church, who is it that you are allowing to transform you? Because we are all called to be transformed into that vessel that God has created us to be. And God puts the word of God in our lives and God puts space for prayer in our lives and God puts people in our lives. And while God does not always at every moment of every day give us clarity, God gives us the opportunity to live by faith. That we may be transformed by his power and his great mercy. That we may walk along, as Jeremiah said, the highways that have been paved for us so that we can travel along the paths that God intends for us. Can we be the people, the individuals in the community of believers who are transformed into that beautiful vessel that God has created us to be? Because you know what? That is God's intention. That is God's will. That is God's desire. That is God's heart. Let that be our intention and our will and our desire and our heart as well, that God may turn his face toward us as we live in covenant relationship with him. God, we are so thankful for this opportunity uh, to consider you. And we are thankful, God, that um, you even allow us to stand in the face of your authority and in your goodness and your purity. We thank you, God, that you have put so many opportunities and that you will invite us into the presence of so many people and that you will speak so many words to us through your Holy Scripture and through your Spirit as we, as we pray to you to help us figure out the very tricky and difficult task of how to, to embody your calling in this world. We thank you, God, for the times in our life that are times that are filled with change, that we don't have to feel like we're just uh, stagnating or running out the clock, but that we can feel as though every day we're invited into your presence, that we are invited to do your will. Help us not turn our backs on you, God, but help us to run to you, for you are our good creator, you are our good father, and you call us your children. In Jesus' name.